I wanted to talk to you tonight uh, about some of these moral thought experiments, sort of as a ways to illustrate that while we like to pretend we're all reasonable, rational, and logical, we can, in different contexts, understand that we're pulled in different directions by different parts of what we think or what we feel. And too often in the skeptical community, you sort of think, well, rationality is the answer. And certainly, in certain domains, it definitely is. But if you're actually talking to other people, usually you have to realize that everyone has their biases and then actually accommodate accordingly. I think often we go, like, everyone's biased. And you still try to, like, look, you're biased, point it out, and then mm-hmm. rationally someone will just agree with you. Versus, like, well, wait a minute, maybe there's other factors at play, including how we're all emotionally pulled one way or another. So I thought I'd cover about three or four of these and try to then use that to illustrate the broader point of it's sometimes hard to think clearly about an issue when you feel more than one way about it. So first, uh, and this is from a a series of books that I've read over the years, is from The Happiness Hypothesis by Jonathan Haidt. It's an absolutely fantastic book. I recommend it to everyone. He also wrote The Righteous Mind, which is a great book. And he provides this uh, thought experiment, which he's used in his own research studying disgust. So I'm going to read it to you now, and then I'd like to get the panel's reaction. We could have a discussion about it. (laughs) Yes. So we'll just say um, Adam, Elan, Pat in terms of how they answer about it. All right. Julie and Mark are sister and brother. They are traveling together in France on summer vacation from college. One night, they are staying alone in a cabin near the beach. They decide that it would be interesting and fun if they tried making love. At the very least, it would be a new experience for each of them. Julie is already taking birth control pills, but Mark uses a condom too, just to be safe. They both enjoy making love, but decide not to do it again. They keep that night as a special secret, which makes them feel even closer to each other. Do you think it is acceptable for two consenting adults who happen to be siblings to make love as outlined in this thought experiment? Adam. Define acceptable. No one's being hurt, but it's still weird. And I'm going to use words that are like unskeptical, like weird and creepy. Because my sister also is named Julie, um, <laughs> like the girl in the thought experiment. Um, but no. Um, so you don't think it should be illegal in this case? No, no, not at all. It's just. Do you think there's anything wrong with it? Uh, no, I wouldn't say wrong. Okay, Elan. Yeah, I guess I sort of mirror Adam's thoughts. It just it viscerally feels weird and like wrong. I guess is the word of how it feels, and I guess we've evolved to feel that way about our siblings. But, you know, when you think about it logically, I guess if no one's getting hurt and everyone's fine, then definitely shouldn't be illegal. Right. So you feel disgust. And if you ask yourself why, do you have an answer? Yeah, exactly. It's like the answer is because it just feels that way because I'm assuming that's just how my brain works. And there's not really, it doesn't seem like there's a logical reason for why that should be so disgusting. I think there's a very logical reason for why that should be disgusting because we're, we're, we're hardwired to well, yeah, exactly. zest for, for reasons to... the. Um, you know, to avoid um, problem genetic problems, right? Inbreeding, um, and that translates to to sex because sex leads to breeding. So I, I understand. You know, that's why you had all that birth control stuff. Yeah, but indeed. That's why. So Pat, so uh, I think that their ages might actually play a role in in how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. Um, how old were they? Sorry, was that they were uh, traveling together from college, so of college age. Which I guess in the States is, what, 18 to 22? So, um, yeah, ish. So, so given that, I, like, I, I, I think if they had been in their 40s, I, I might feel slightly different given their experience um, and their sort of knowledge of all the things that you guys just talked about, the, the reasons why we should be 
kind of predisposition to not have that happen. But at 18 to 22, your hormones are kind of nuts, and, I'm, and, and I don't think that there's anything illegal in terms of, right. I don't think it should be illegal. It's interesting, right? Uh, and in his experiments, it's usually people say, you know, no, it's not acceptable. And then, it's like, well, how would you justify it? And then they, the first thing they reach for is that, well, incestuous sex leads to offspring that suffer from genetic abnormalities. And as Adam said, that's why the birth control's in there. And then yep. when that's pointed out, no one says, oh, well, okay, then that's okay. <laughs> then they go for the next one, right? Uh, it's going to harm the relationship. And it's like, well, no, it already said that it made the relationship stronger, and they don't mind that. Like, well, then I don't necessarily just, believe that, though. That's fine, but as it's set up, right? It yeah. is a thought experiment. Yes. And then, of course, like, well, then what about other people? Like, well, they kept it a secret. And for the most part, if you talk to uh, most people, if they are sort of losing a particular argument, they don't then concede the point. They just switch gears, which I find incredibly annoying. And, of course, this, this you know, little group here that I just asked is biased because you're all like, well, of course. Well, I, most I of us were okay with it, though. Yeah, but I, think, right. I could definitely yeah. believe that in normal experiments... With uh, just the average people, a lot of people will just right. react the way Darren's saying. But I think I'm pretty average. <laughs> <laughs> no, see, no, Pat, if you've uh, listened or partook in, in hundreds of skeptical episodes or listened to them, you're not average. In Height's research, he's sort of pointing out that moral judgment is almost like an aesthetic judgment. Like when you see a painting, you know instantly and automatically where you like it or not. And that's similarly mm, yeah. like with moral stuff. And when someone asks you why, you just kind of start making up reasons like, well, because of the color, because of this, because of that. And partly that's true, but partly your brain's trying to generate a reason. And this all was under the, I guess, the reasoning of it's the difficulty of winning an argument that when you are talking to someone and you do argue a specific point that they've mentioned, they often just switch gears instead of uh, addressing that exact point. Then we move to a different book by Peter Unger called Living High and Letting Die, Our Illusions of Innocence. It's written by a koala. <laughs> a koala bear. <laughs> Just like a panda bear, they hung out together in their bear cave. <laughs> nice. Peter Unger presents it's the thought experiment called The Vintage Sedan. This time it'll be Elan, Pat, Adam. Oh. The Vintage Sedan. Not truly rich, your one luxury in life is a vintage Mercedes sedan that, with much time, attention, and money, you've restored to mint condition. In particular, you're pleased by the auto's fine leather seating. One day, you stop at the intersection of two small country roads, both lightly traveled. Hearing a voice screaming for help, you get out and see a man who's wounded and covered with a lot of blood. Assuring you that his wounds confined to one of his legs, the man also informs you that he was a medical student for two full years. And, despite his expulsion for cheating on his second-year final exams, which explains his indigent status since, he's knowledgeably tied a shirt near the wound so as to stop the flow. So there's no urgent danger of losing his life, you're informed, but there's great danger of losing his limb. This can be prevented, however, if you drive him to a rural hospital 50 miles away. How did the wound occur, you ask? An avid birdwatcher, he admits that he trespassed on a nearby field and, in carelessly leaving, cut himself on rusty barbed wire. Now, if you aid this trespasser, you must lay him across your fine back seat with the nice leather. But then your fine leather upholstery will be soaked through with blood, and restoring the car will cost over $5,000. Mm -hmm. So you drive away. Picked up the next day by another driver, he survives but loses the wounded leg. Wow. Do you think he should have done that, Elan? Do you think that the person should have driven away? Yeah. No, I think he should have driven the guy to the hospital. All right. Pat? I would have driven to the hospital. Adam? 
I would have driven him the 80 kilometers for Canadians <laughs> to the hospital. That wasn't the question. Uh, should he have uh, Should he have driven away? Hell no. He should have given a ride to a hospital. Is he uh, legally required to? No. Is it wrong for him not to have? Uh, yeah. So, yeah. pretending I'm a... So, Elaine, you say it's wrong for him not to. Why? Because, I don't know, you should help someone if they're going to lose their leg. It seems like a worthwhile cause to take up. Well, saying it's worthwhile is, is beyond just saying it's wrong, right? Well, was your question... Your question was, was it wrong? Well, we're going to get to it. And, and, and let's let's think outside the box a little. Well, because my, my answer was, I would have driven to the hospital. Yes. Mm-hmm. But was that your question? That well, no, I, I, did, I did technically ask, should you do it? And then based on the answers, I then asked because Elon yeah, said it's wrong. You should do it. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, I guess what you're getting at, Darren, like, I mean, maybe you're going to ask me, how can I explain why it's wrong? This is probably also one of these things that you just sort of feel innately. Like, it just feels like you should help him. I don't know if I could give, like, a detailed list of reasons why. Okay. No, that's more than fine. So lower down on the same page, Peter Unger then presents another thought experiment called The Envelope. And this time, Pat, Adam, Elan. Okay. The Envelope. In your mailbox, there's something from, say, the, the Committee for UNICEF. After reading it through, you correctly believe that, unless you soon send in a check for $100, then, instead of each living many more years, over 30 more children will die soon. But you throw the material in your trash basket, including the convenient return envelope provided, you send nothing, and instead of living many years, over 30 more children will soon die than had you sent in the requested $100. Oh, f*** you, man. (laughs) (laughs) So, Pat, you seem maybe morally conflicted. And the yeah. question is, is what that person, meaning you, who got that envelope, throwing in the trash, is that the right thing to do? Would you have done that? Um, so, I get your point. Um, you know, the the idea that you would help um, is always a little bit more significant if it's something very close to you um, or something that you can see or um, something that's obvious to you or immediate to you. Um, it is the same situation. Uh, I'm conflicted, obviously. I take your point, Darren. Uh, who's next? Adam? If we do the math, you get 150 times more bang for your buck by helping the people in the envelope than the guy with the bleeding leg. I think that's the point you're trying to make. Yes. Well, also, it's only a leg, too. <sighs> exactly. Yeah, that's right. Um... So, yeah, obviously the right thing to do is to um, save the children. Um, is it wrong not to do it? Um, arguable. Should it be illegal? No. Um, I guess we can go back to that. But, yeah, I mean, you're supposed to save the kids. But, but we ignore that every day. Everyone does. That's the, At the end of the day, that's, that's, the, that's the sad truth, right? I, I think Darren's point maybe is that it's much easier not to do it. Well, there's that. Uh, Elan, what do you think? You did a segment before about this and how it's easier to help people that are nearby and easy to sort of forget about people far away. But also, I don't think it's really fair. Like, I don't think these are analogous situations, right? Because, first of all, you can't just donate money to everything. So let's say if I've already donated so much money to one charity and then if I throw out this envelope, I'm not a bad Mm -hmm. person. Secondly, these kids, maybe someone else is going to donate and save them. So maybe it's not as pressing for me to, as opposed to the guy with the leg where someone needs to drive him to the hospital right now and I'm the only one here. So I don't know if it's completely analogous. Like I get your point that people don't give to charity a lot because it's too far away so they don't feel the impact. But, you know, at the same time, 
I think they're slightly different. So, also, if those are curious, I covered moral consistency on episode 67. It's a good episode. I think this is interesting because all three of you pretty much said, I get your point. Yeah. But then eh. both Adam and Elan engage what I would say are rationalizations. Adam said, well, it happens all the time. And Elan said, well, you can't help everyone, which is more formally called the argument from futility, which sort of means that because you can't help everyone, maybe you shouldn't help anyone. I spent that $100 on malaria nets. Right. And then also, well, someone else might do it. Mm. Well, we know that there are actually are not enough people doing it because there's about 7 million children under the age of 5 that die each year. So it's something horrid about... I don't know, 120 an hour. So, yeah, by the time you listen to this podcast, that many children would have died. And, yeah, you could send money to UNICEF, by the way. It's just, this is the fact of the matter. Year over year, this is what happens. It used to be actually above 10 and 12 million, so the fact that it's now 7 million or slightly under is a good thing, but it's almost hard to believe it because the numbers almost add up to World War II stats, if anyone's curious about that horrible comparison. So, the fact that someone else is doing it or not is almost irrelevant to whether you do it or not, even though, of course, psychologically, it's a huge factor. And someone else mentioned the distance issue. Yes, uh, it is very much true that physical distance leads to psychological distance, which leads to moral distance, even though that is not logically true at all. There's no logical moral argument to say, well, because they're farther away, I shouldn't help them as much. I think there is also a difference between someone asking you for help. And I know that someone is asking you via a letter from UNICEF, <laughs> yes, but like are. the guy with the leg is asking you, hey, you, I'm looking at you, you right, help me. But to turn that away is different than... Indeed it is. Like, no, again, I the psychological you. impact is huge. The guy's <laughs> actually there in person. But what we saw is that you're willing to sacrifice $5,000 for one leg. Obviously. Almost all three of you are like, what's, what's the problem here? This is obvious. Mm-hmm. The guy should help him. To the rationalizations kicked in for just $100. Yep. And I'm not saying you're wrong for doing it. I'm just saying that's how we're that much conflicted by how we think. It's almost like different parts of your brain are in battle, right? The yeah. front of your brain is in battle with, like, the bottom of your brain, back bottom. And they're both going, well, but I feel this, and I know this, and I want to be a good person, but then I don't have to, but then I must. I feel like it's being a, bit, a little bit manipulative. I think it's, like, a bit of a mani- manipulative point because, sure, anytime you get a letter asking you to donate to charity – you could say, yeah, you should do it. Otherwise, you're just as bad as not helping a guy on the side of the road who's going to lose his leg. But it seems... You should set to, the charity. You know, it's not really the same thing. And No, actually, I think one is even easier than the other. One's asking for one-fiftieth the amount of money. Mm-hmm. And the impact is so much higher. And let's be honest, it is actually true that children are dying. And if you donate to the right charity, you can help it. When we think the, the theoretical driving by the side of the road, help a guy with his leg, like that's really implausible. So the more plausible scenario is the one that's actually happening. And while you may feel manipulated and I'm sympathetic to that, it's almost like this isn't my issue. It's the world. The world is structured such as this and you have moral standards, which are making you feel badly right now. Right. Mm -hmm. And the same way that I do. And so you're just kind of stuck going like, well, but I don't want to feel this way and I don't want the world to be this way, but it is. So that's why we're in conflict. I don't know. I think you're just taking two situations that aren't really the same saying, oh, you would do this and you wouldn't do this, you know, therefore, oh, what an interesting sort of moral paradox. But really, they're two completely different situations. And I could, I think I could come up with lots of reasons why they're different. I think I did that and you brushed them aside, which is almost like the thing you were saying about for the first thing, where if you argue a point and the other person, you know, has, has an agenda or if the other person already thinks something, then you make a point against it, they'll quickly come up with a rationalization. I think these are actually two very different situations. Okay, that's, this is great. This is part of the discussion. So I think they're similar because you're willing to trade a financial resource or a cost for 
aiding or helping someone else. That's the root of what's going on. There are differences, but are they meaningful differences? So the fact that children are far away and he's close, I don't think that's a moral difference. And if you think so, I'd love you to explain it. No, that's not the main difference. The main difference I said is that this guy is depending on you only. Like, if you don't do it, he'll lose his leg. And the children, well, I'm not saying you shouldn't donate to charity. And, you know, your malaria thing that you're doing is really great. And I'm sure you're helping lots of people. <laughs> if anyone's curious, I'm fundraising for the Against Malaria Foundation. We'll put a link in the show notes. But I just think it's a different situation. If one person needs your help, and if you don't do it, no one will help, as opposed to another situation where lots of people have the potential to help. It's just two different situations. So let so me jump, jump in for one moment and try and, and break that argument up a little bit. Darren, you yourself, and, and I'm not being argumentative because I was the first to say I have no answer, um, but you said the idea of the guy on the side of the road is quite implausible, right? Yeah, I think you're, well, mean, meaning, I think if I was driving, it's unlikely, it's unlikely to run into that, but it's you are likely to happen, right? Correct. Of course. As opposed to me getting True. an envelope every single day. Right. Okay. Imagine so if you ran into a bleeding man every different day. Different situations, <laughs> but they're different in the in the weighted manner of that you should help the kids more. They're different in my everyday experience, is what I'm saying, and I think that that plays a role. It there was is, so obvious to all three of you to help the guy. Absolutely, and no it was question. so conflicting to all of you. Like no one said yes, that was wrong. We should donate the money. No one said that obviously outright. I don't disagree with you. And yet it was so obvious to help the guy. And like, the I think it's a really interesting why? point. And, and Elan, your point about other people can help, I'm telling you, and you know, other people don't help. So the idea that that one guy with the leg was relying on you and these kids are not, I don't think that works because these kids are relying on you because they will actually die. Okay, so, so the guy comes up and there are you and four other cars there. And they're all giving him the cold shoulder too. Well, that's and the, you drive away first. Well, that's the bad. well, that's the twist on the thought experiment. So, yeah. if other people are not helping someone, does that mean you still don't have to help them? <laughs> no, right? If everyone else is doing something, should that be your guide for moral behavior? Well, it can be a broad guide, like don't eat that poisonous food. No one's doing that. <laughs> but again, that child in the pond experiment we've used: there's a kid drowning. Do you help them or not? Well, if there's ten people just standing by the side of the pond, you don't say, "Well, they're all standing there. I guess I'll just let the kid drown." But that's what happens every single day. But yeah. should it? No, I'm not suggesting that it, sh it, it shouldn't. But but I mean. I know it does. Of course work. I know okay. it does, right? Okay. I, I, I'm well aware it does. And, I, and I'm trying to say we all know why. But part of what we're trying to do in the podcast in general is... No, no, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm not and so it's that just because it happens frequently doesn't mean necessarily it's still immoral to let it go, right? Yeah. Darren, I just want to say that I do agree that there are moral experiments that you can do that prove that you should you know, be donating more to charity. And I think you even did some other good ones back in whatever episode 60, what was it? 67. 60, I just personally disagree with this one. It's not to say that I disagree with the overall okay, that's, idea. That's I just fine. feel like these two aren't that similar. Fair enough. There um, are, in that book, Living High and Letting Die, there's like 50 of them. And a lot of them have slight, slight variations, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so the guy's in a Bugatti. And this time, this is going to happen. And now the envelope says this, and this and that. So he really tries to play with those little manipulations of the thought experiment where, you know, like any good experiment, even thought experiments, you should run the control condition. Mm -hmm. And you kind of tweak it and go like, well, I react well to that one, but I don't to that right. one. And yeah, and I'm and just so, being an asshole skeptic and just trying no, to poke holes in what you're saying. No, it's important to have the discussion. No, it's great. It's important to have the discussion, right? Mm -hmm. 
So following along, as we can see, we end up sort of in moral conflict of how we think and feel about things. Uh, the final moral thought experiment I'll talk about is the famous trolley problem. This, this version is called Bystander Denise. Mm-hmm. Denise is a passenger on an out-of-control trolley, picture a train above tracks. The conductor has fainted, and the trolley is headed toward five people walking on the track. The banks are so steep, they will not be able to get off the track in time. The track has a side track leading off to the left, and Denise can turn the trolley onto it. There is, however, one person on the left-hand track. Denise can turn the trolley, killing the one, or she can refrain from flipping the switch, letting the five die. Adam. No. Should she flip the switch or not? Um... Is it morally permissible for Denise to flip the switch? Turning. Is the it morally permissible? Yes. Is it morally required? No. So if she doesn't and kills, lets five die instead of killing one, yes, that's okay. It's not wrong. Okay, Elan. Yeah, I guess I agree with Adam. I wouldn't uh, blame her either way. I could see and arguments Pat? for both ways. Okay. Uh, but that, that's an entirely impossible decision. I mean, simple mathematics says you kill the one and save the five, but that's mm-hmm. a very difficult situation. That's yeah. a very difficult it's situation to be in. Yeah, I think we've talked about this before. It is. The whole idea of like actively causing someone's death well, as opposed right. to standing as by. As opposed to standing by. Yeah. Right. It's something we've talked about. I think I might have talked about this in the act omission bias. Maybe that's what you were thinking about, Elon, in a previous segment, mm-hmm. where most people reluctantly say she should flip the switch. Because yep. in this situation, it's set up that either five die or one dies. And yes, you actively do something which then causes the five to die versus passively letting one die. And that's called the act omission bias because the outcomes are going to be the same whether you act or not in a certain way. And yet people feel if you act, it makes it worse. And I just brought this one up because it is so famous and people should, should know about this. When you can bring it up at dinner parties to be interesting or annoying. Yes. And then <laughs> most people who do say, yes, it's okay to kill one to save five. You just say, well, okay, there's a situation where there's a hospital and five people need organ transplants and there's some healthy person waiting in the waiting room. Why not just kill that person and save five lives? And almost everyone says, no, no, that's completely wrong. That's cross the board wrong. And yet it's very, very similar to this situation. You're actively sort of transgressing upon a person going against their wishes, killing them and taking uh, their organs. It's giving human sacrifice to a dragon so that it doesn't come and slay your kingdom. I mean, people make these decisions all the time, but it's... uh, it's I think the real conclusion of this segment should be don't walk on the train tracks. That's dangerous. (laughs) Or drive places. Or answer your mail. (laughs) No, the conclusion more is that we're very quickly and easily pulled in one direction or another, and some of them were kind of murky, but some of them seem so obviously one way or the other, right? And yet for a different individual, maybe a different one is murky, and another one so obviously one way or another. And when you sort of ask yourself why, sometimes you can come up with reasons, and then upon reflection those turn out to be good reasons, and other times you come up with reasons, and later they turn out to be bad reasons. So I just sort of mentioned that this sort of thinking in most types of arguments uh, with skeptics or other people, there's some sort of moral component, even if it's like you're challenging their worth as a person or challenging their behavior because truth is important to them morally. And it just adds a nuance and perhaps an understanding that we should try to be more sympathetic to when people are trying to tackle these complicated things in a moment.